Um, today's reading is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows that you need what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when, you, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Well, good morning. And uh, a few things I just want to say before we get going. Uh, first is a big thank you to uh, the band and all those who have stepped in last minute this week. It's been a week where we've just... Uh, kind of on a skeleton crew. I'm the only staff member on. Uh, well, only one at the front. Lee's actually been here for this week too, but no Andrew or Lydia or Jacob. They've been on holidays. And uh, we had some people coming out with COVID too who were going to serve. So I hope the Purdy's, I hope you're recovering okay at home. Uh, thanks for Ben for stepping in. And sorry there was no uh, song sheets for those who need song sheets so they can't stand up. Uh, we had song sheets. They had all the wrong lyrics because uh, we just changed the songs at the last minute to make it fit. Apologies for that. Uh, next one would be a thank you to Stephen. Uh, he had a week off work. He's a painter, and he used that week to paint our church. So, Stephen, thank you so much. As you came through the doors, you would have seen all that steel work has been repainted beautifully. Uh, the featured door has been painted, and um, well, you'll see, you'll see things as you just walk around the church and notice how much nicer things are. Uh, and also, thank you, Stockdales, for pulling down uh, all our fairy lights and Christmas trees. I know it's, that's how, it's kind of sad when you pull down the Christmas decorations. And it's like 300 and something days to Christmas. But thank you for putting them up, and thank you for, for taking them down. It was, it was a wonderful, um, wonderfully dressed church this year. Let's pray. Uh, dear Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that we hear it well today. Uh, with hearts that are tender and, and expectant, teach us that we may live uh, more like your son. Amen. Well, Optus has had a bad year, right? I, I think it's hard to uh, disagree with that. So Optus had a pretty bad year. I'm no longer on Optus. That's tough on them, but I changed because it was such a rubbish year. And part of the problem was this year there was an outage, like nationwide outage. Who here was affected by the Optus outage? Put your hands up. Yeah, a lot of people. Um, and basically, Australians woke up to find that the the Optus was down. The entire network was down across the nation. And I reckon most people would have figured that out before they even got out of bed. They would have, you know, stopped their phone, snoo- you know, put on snooze for the third time, eventually picked it up and looked at it and realized no reception. Uh, Facebook doesn't work. News doesn't work. 
Or maybe by breakfast they figured out something's wrong with my phone. And something we take for granted, access to the world through our phone, access to people through our phone is suddenly missing. And you really notice it. Uh, you realise you can't call that person that you want to talk to. You can't call that workplace. You can't, uh, you can't reach anyone through email, internet, on your phone. And it's funny like that as humans, when we lose something we t- that we use all the whole time, finally we realise how often we take it for granted. That got me thinking through this Optus outage, what if, what if we woke up one day and we prayed and there was a, uh, a prayer outage? You couldn't access God. I mean, I, you know, humor me. You pray in the morning and you hear uh, a little quiet voice in your head say, sorry, number is no longer connected. Or maybe it says, uh, line is busy, try again later. Uh, how would you feel? Now, first question before you, how you feel, is how long would it take you to figure that out? Would you figure it out before you got out of bed that there was, an, there was a prayer outage? Uh, would you figure it out by breakfast time? Would it not be till Friday when you're in heavy traffic and you decide to pray for the traffic situation? Or finally at church on Sunday when we all prayed together and realized that it was, there was a prayer outage. I wonder how long it would... My guess is for most people, it would take us longer to realize that we had a communication issue with God than we did with our phones. The second one, imagine the feeling. You can't talk to God. He doesn't, you can't access Him. I reckon one week where all Christians couldn't pray and suddenly we'd realize how much we've taken prayer for granted and we'd never be the same again. I think after that week, we'd, we'd treasure prayer. And, and so this... This summer series, we hope to inspire people to pray more as we get into the new year. Inspired prayers, partly because we're taking all the prayers out of the Bible. So all the prayers we look at will be inspired by God. And the other thing is we want to inspire you to pray more as well. And maybe you're someone who finds prayer hard. You feel like it is like an empty phone line. You feel disconnected or feel like there's really bad reception with God. Or maybe you just don't understand prayer. And that, that would put you in the same camp as the disciples. So don't feel bad about that. Uh, as Colin said, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, how do we pray? We don't know how to pray. And so Jesus teaches them the Lord's Prayer. Now that's in Luke's Gospel, but in Matthew's Gospel, we also find the Lord's Prayer almost identical. And so it's clear that on two occasions at least, Jesus stopped his ministry to teach people a model prayer. And that's what we're going to do. We're just going uh, to work through that prayer. The outline is just the Lord's Prayer. We're going to take it kind of phrase by phrase or a couple of phrases at a time and we're going to move through it. And I want to say, too, that I reckon this is a really good book on prayer. You don't, you don't need a book on prayer, but if you wanted to read a book on prayer, uh, this would be the one I'd recommend. This is the book I've been reading all week. Uh, it's a favorite of mine, You Can Pray, by Tim Chester. So let's just get into the Lord's Prayer. It starts Matthew 6, verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Prayer begins with the fatherhood of God. Jesus says, prayer is, is like talking to, your, talking to a father, like a kid talking to a dad. That is how prayer works. Uh, you jump on Kurong and you'll find many, many books on how to pray. Uh, they'll tell you how to be better at prayer, uh, how to pray for finances, how to pray for healing, how to pray for your kids, how to pray as a grandparent. Uh, they'll tell you about how to, to improve your, the feeling of spirituality when you pray and be more disciplined at prayer. And they can make it sound like prayer is a skill that you have to hone. It's an expertise you have to learn in. It's an ability you have to grow in. It's kind of like a sport, you know. It's about technique and it's about practice. And practice makes perfect. And it's all garbage. It's all garbage. That's not the model of prayer. Prayer is not a skill we learn like a sport. Prayer, Jesus says, is a child talking to a father. That's it. 
That is prayer. That's the way Jesus explains prayer. And the disciples, they they look at Jesus, right? He's God the Son, eternally begotten from the Father. And they see a relationship between Him and the Father that's intimate and personal and and beautiful. And they want to know how He can talk to the Father like that. And so Jesus says, He says, you pray, and you pray with these words, Our Father. Our Father. Isn't that beautiful? Prayer is always corporate. Our Father. Now, sometimes it's corporate because we pray together, together, but it's always, at the very minimum, you and, and Jesus, in a sense, praying together. We pray to our Father, Christ's Father. Christ is our brother, and we pray with Him to His Father, who is now our Father. This is called the doctrine of union with Christ. My life is united with Christ's life. His Father is my Father. His prayer life now can be my prayer life. His connection is my connection. So the question is, how, how do you get good at prayer? Well, if you're, if you're a Christian, I won't get you to put your hand up, but if, if you're a Christian here, you're already good at prayer. You're already gifted at prayer. You can't make your prayers any more accessible to God. And He doesn't have to work any harder to hear you. you there's nothing you can do to make the Father hear you more. Because in Christ... He hears you perfectly. He is no more likely to reject your prayers as he would reject Jesus, his son's prayers. Isn't that incredible? So you, don't, you can read the book if you want to help understand prayer, but you don't need to read this book to learn to pray or get better at prayer because your prayers are already effective and good because you are a child of God. Think about how kids speak. I decided to watch a compilation and video of all these babies, uh, these kids saying mama or dada for the first time. You know, all the parents had filmed themselves, filmed their kids saying it for the first time, and you know, someone put them into a compilation video on YouTube, and so I sat down and watched it, seven minutes long or something. It was actually really painful. Um, I thought it would be like a tear-jerking thing. Uh, I don't think a single one of those children said mama or dada in the entire video. I think it was just all gibberish. But those parents were pretty convinced, and I'm sure I was the same because parents are really generous to their children. They hear any, anything remotely like data. I'm like, that's it, data, first. Say my name first. It's on the record. You heard it. I heard it. Clear as can be. And that's what God's attitude towards you is. He's not kind of, oh, what? Nah, that, mm, I didn't hear that clearly. Speak up. You know, speak better. Do better. Talk, talk to me properly. Grow up. He doesn't say that. Um, Tim Chester says in his book this, I think it's helpful. When you pray, you can hear a voice saying to you, that's not a good prayer. You need to try harder. You need to do better. This is the voice of Satan. He is like a grumpy onlooker who remains resolutely unimpressed at the first words of a small child. I guess me watching YouTube. Um, The difference, though, is Satan's intent is far more malign. He never wants you to talk to your father. Don't listen to Satan. Rather, listen to your heavenly Father who applauds your faltering, jumbled attempts. God gave his own Son for this very reason that you could call him Father and you could pray. Isn't that beautiful? Two small correctives to to stop us wandering off track, though. Uh, The first, when we think of God as Father and prayer, is to say God is not an indulgent Father. He's not an indulgent Father, right? He's a loving, wise father, right? And because he's loving, he says no to things. If I never said no, my kids, you know, the girls would live off ice cream for every meal. Thomas would live off chocolate for every meal. But of course, I'm a good father, so I I get the strength and I say no. Uh, 
And that's what God is like too. And sometimes that'll even be painful. It'll even hurt. And we still need to trust Him. He's a good father, but He's not an indulgent father. All right, parents, do you remember taking your kid to get their first vaccination at six weeks? Who remembers that traumatic moment, right? More traumatic than us and the baby. They don't believe it, but it's true. What happens? Well, if you haven't got a kid yet, it's like this. Take your baby who's smiling at you, so happy, trusting, at uh, like six or 12 weeks, one of these early vaccination dates, and uh, they're looking up this nurse who's been introduced as a friend, and suddenly the nurse stabs them in the leg with a big steel needle, <laughs> straight in. And they look at you, and then dissolve into tears, and their eyes say, what, have, what, have, what has she done to me? She's, and you betrayed me. You're standing there, Dad, and you let her do this to me. That's the first leg. Um, the second leg's worse. <laughs> and what am I going to do? Like... I, mean, I can't explain to them. They need this. They, they, they need this vaccination. It's important um, because, you know, by putting a tiny amount of antigens in the body, uh, it'll, it'll help them fight off a deadly disease later because their body's going to build up antibodies and the antibodies will stop the pathogens, and that's really important. They can't understand that. But because they're crying and because that's too complex for them to understand, do I not do it? Do I say, well, that's, I, can't, I can't bring myself to do it? No, a loving parent still does it because they know it's good for their child. And our Father is loving, and He wants you to be Christ-like, to look like Christ. And so at times, you'll go through suffering, which is painful, and maybe too complex for you to understand why, but that doesn't make Him not a good dad. He's a loving Heavenly Father, but that also means wanting to shape us in good ways. The other one to say is, is, so He's God is our father, but he's not, an, he's not a indulgent father, but neither is he an indifferent father, right? He's not indifferent to us. Um, this year, for, the day, for the, my family, it was the, uh, the way year for the Davies family, the Davies clan. So all the Davies uh, kids went and had um, Christmas with their in-laws. So uh, for us, that was Emma's side of the family. And so um, we had, they, they actually flew up to us, which was really nice. But of course, there's one, we don't even put out the seat, one seat at the table. We, we, it's always empty, it's always missing. That's for Emma's father. And he, she doesn't, I've asked her permission to talk about this. Uh, he's never present. He's never done a Christmas with us. Uh, he, he, he hasn't, he, he's never, ab, he, he's always absent. He has never met his grandkids. That's really hard on Emma. Emma finds that difficult that her dad, her earthly dad, um, for the last kind of 14 years, has been completely absent and indifferent in her life. And it's hard for her to think at times about our Heavenly Father as someone who's present. Maybe that's the same for you. You have a dad who's not great. Maybe he's indifferent to your needs. Or maybe he's a hard man. When you cried, he said, toughen up. And when you wanted him, he was distracted. Maybe he wasn't gentle. And if that's you, it can be sometimes easy to think, God, the Heavenly Father, is like my earthly dad. He's, he's distant. He doesn't love me or he hurts me. And the Bible teaches that's not the case. I think um, it's really, if that's you, it's really hard. I, I want to say it is difficult. But the fact that we're so hurt by our, can be so hurt by our earthly parents makes us see that we're programmed to look for a good heavenly parent, right? When we notice the failings of our mum or our dad, it's because part of us knows there should be a better parent. And that points us to a heavenly father. So God is a heavenly Father, and all prayer, all prayer begins with the fatherhood of God. He's not indifferent, He's not indulgent, He is good. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
I don't think I've ever used the word hallowed in a normal conversation. What does hallowed mean? It means to be holy, to be set apart. Now, we're not saying, God, you need to make yourself more holy. That's not what it means. You know, Dear God, try a bit harder to be more holy, please. God is already 100% holy. So hallowed be your name means we want your name to be recognized as holy. We want you to have a great reputation in our world. Now, when people think about God, they know you and they know your name is holy. Uh, I don't know how often, do you, do you even notice it anymore when people use God's name in vain? It just happens all around us constantly. People swapping out uh, a swear word for God or Jesus or Christ or Jesus Christ and they, and they use that instead, you know, in a moment of frustration. I got talking to one of our young adults before Christmas and he said, that when someone in his workplace uses uh, God's name in vain, you know, maybe kind of yells out, oh, Jesus Christ, he says, oh, do you know him? And the guy, person's like, what? Like, well, you called him out, out his name. Do you know him? I know Jesus Christ. Do you know him? And, um, and then tries to tell him about Jesus. It sounds spectacularly awkward, but I think it's, I think it's awesome. <laughs> At the same time, I think it's really awesome. Good on him. Um, because... That's what this prayer says. We, do, we don't want... What's the opposite to hallowed be your name? It's cursed be your name, which is what our world probably reflects. What do we want? Hallowed be your name. That all people would use God's name constantly, regularly, consistently, but all to lift up God, not to curse something. And so when we pray this prayer, hallowed be your name, what are we saying? Uh, we are praying that God would exalt himself in our lives... We are praying that God would intervene in history and save people. They would know his name is holy as they're saved. Oh, we're praying that God would come one day and, and end this world and, and vindicate his name through judgment. So this prayer, hallowed be your name, is a prayer of salvation for some, but it's also a prayer of judgment for some, but it's a prayer that one day all people will know God's name. And one day God will answer that prayer and history on earth will end as he comes and vindicates himself. This is a big prayer. Flowing on from that, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Matthew and Mark's gospel, when Jesus starts to preach, his first words out of his mouth is that people should repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's how Jesus would start his preaching. God's kingdom has come near. And we keep praying for that. God's kingdom, that it may come on earth. Like, it, like God rules in heaven, that his kingdom may come on earth. What does this look like? Well, God king, God's kingdom comes on earth when people fall on their knees and repent and find forgiveness in Jesus. His kingdom comes as a generation of children grow up knowing the name of Jesus as their saviour for their entire life. His kingdom comes as people choose to stand against sin and against injustice and against evil, against greed, and, and count, be counted as His. His kingdom comes as we choose love and forgiveness instead of bitterness and hatred. His kingdom comes as we choose to be obedient to Him as our King instead of our own being the ruler of our own throne of our hearts. It comes as His church, established by His blood, grows across the world, unstoppable, led by His Spirit, guided by His Word, built upon Christ. And it will come when Christ comes in His fullness and begins His eternal kingdom. And we're praying that, as we pray that prayer, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
And that ends the first half of the Lord's Prayer. Part of this first half is all about God's glory, God's name, God's kingdom, God's coming. And then the second half is about kind of how we live that out. It's about provision and pardon and protection. So let's get into the second half. Give us today our daily bread. It's easy to see how significant that was in Jesus' time. Uh, you know, most people were either farmers or laborers. Um, no one had fridges. And so bread was very much a daily acquisition. You went out and you bought bread or you made bread every day. And food was, was never very secure. And so you prayed this prayer in a very real way. Please give us our bread for tomorrow, that we may have bread tomorrow. Now, that's very different to our world, isn't it? Uh, we, have, we have cupboards and freezers full of food. We have money in the bank. We have credit cards if we don't have money in the bank. And so, is this redundant? Do we still need to pray for daily bread? Uh, Chester, in his book, he writes this. I suggest we need to pray this prayer as much as ever, precisely because we no longer feel so dependent. This prayer is a reminder that we can't take our life for granted. We are dependent on God just as much as the first century Palestine. The economic system of the Western world might hide this, but the reality remains the same. God sustains all life through His providential care, Psalm 65. Every breath we take comes from Him. Jesus holds everything together by His Word, Hebrews 1 verse 3. Without God's continual intervention, the atoms of your body will collapse into nothing. All the blessings we enjoy are gifts from God. We're to pray for our daily bread because we are dependent on God, because we need to recognize that we are dependent on Him always. It's, food reminds us how finite we are, aren't we? Like we'll fill up at lunchtime and then we're hungry a couple of hours later. We are constantly using up energy. We're constantly in need. We are fragile, needy people. And we saw a bit of that before Christmas, didn't we? We saw a cyclone come, we saw record flooding, and there's just nothing we can do about it. We can't even predict the weather properly. And uh, there was power outages. Who, who had a power outage? Yep, I did. Those who didn't, I hope you enjoyed your power. Uh, fridges started to defrost, and so you lost food. We had the warning that we're running out of water. Chris Clifford, who, who works in that space, he said we're down to like 12% in the town. I think out in the beaches, they're down to 6% of water in their, in their tanks, the town's water supply. And in a very real way, you can understand this prayer, can't you? God, we need you. How easy our society falls apart. How easy we are without food and without water and without power. We are so dependent upon God. Next part. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. We go from physical needs to spiritual need. What's right at the top? Forgiveness. That's worth saying that if you are Christian, you're already forgiven. You don't have to pray for forgiveness to kind of release another dose of forgiveness. Um, when you come to Christ, you, all your sins are forgiven on the cross. The whole lot. He knows all your sins you commit, you're all paid for on the cross, and so you are washed clean. So why do we pray this prayer? Well, two reasons, and the first is to restore relationship. God doesn't love us any less when we sin. God doesn't hold us at arm's length when we sin, like a, kind of a child with a smelly nappy, you know, kind of holding you far away. That's not God. He doesn't do that. He doesn't push you away. 
but we push him away. That's the problem with sin. It's not God pushing us away. When we sin, we hold God at distance. We push him away. We want nothing to do with him. And so when we come and we ask for forgiveness, it's us drawing close to him. It's not that God has to draw close to us, but we have to come back to him and restore that relationship and admit that we've done wrong. And we do it with confidence that as we say sorry, we know that forgiveness is already being offered. We, 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 we do this part of the prayer, forgive us our debts that we may restore relationship. Secondly, we do it to remind ourselves that we're a forgiving community. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And you can see at the end of the passage how important it is that Christians understand forgiveness and show that in their forgiving of others. We are all here for the same reason that we have had our sins forgiven. That is the only kind of qualifying thing to become a Christian in our church is to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But we're all here because we've been forgiven with costly, costly grace. And so we are a church grounded on grace. We are a family forged by forgiveness, and that should be our tone. We are quick to forgive. We forgive easily. We, give free, we forgive freely. At the very beginning of the book, What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey, in the very first page, he tells a story. It's actually of a pastor, friend of his. And he says this story. A prostitute came to me in wretched straits, homeless, sick, addicted to drugs, unable to buy food for herself or a two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me that her terrible failings as a mother. She'd done terrible things to herself. She'd done terrible things to her daughter to support her drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. At last, I asked if she'd ever thought about going to church for help. I'll never forget the look of pure, raw shock that crossed her face. Church? She cried. Why would I ever go there? I already feel terrible about myself. They would only make me feel worse. Yancey says, and What struck me is that this woman was so much like the prostitute that runs to Jesus in the Gospels. Not away from him, the prostitute in the Gospels runs to him. The worse the person felt about him or herself, the more likely they were to run to Jesus, to find refuge in Jesus. How has the church lost that gift? Evidently, the down and out who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth no longer feel welcome among his followers. What has happened? The next 282 pages explores the topic of grace. This part of the Lord's Prayer reminds us that we are to be a forgiving, gracious community. I mean, if the one characteristic we should have that we're soaked in, that we're saturated, then pours out of the very pores of our church is grace and forgiveness. Because God has forgiven us. We are all forgiven people. And so we forgive others. I would be a church where people would run through the doors when they feel wretched and not try to drive far away from our church. That's a church God wants. Finally, lead us not into the temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
A prayer is a reminder that we live in a spiritual world. By definition, right? Prayer is a reminder that it's not all physical. You pray to an invisible spiritual God. That's what prayer does. It reminds us that we live in a spiritual realm. This week on YouTube, I watched a, um, a drop of water from a river analyzed under a microscope. It's kind of scary. They zoom in, and, and there in this tiny drop is an entire universe, an entire world of microbes and, and single-cell organisms and bacteria all thriving and swimming and eating and breeding. And it's incredible. It's this world I cannot see. Now, I'd be foolish to say, just because I can't see it, it doesn't impact me. If you ever eaten food with salmonella in it, which you cannot see. You, you know it doesn't go unnoticed about 12 hours later. Can I really loosely uh, use that as an illustration for the spiritual kingdom? That we walk around and are surrounded by a spiritual world. We cannot see it with our physical eyes, like we cannot see microbes in water. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, and doesn't mean it doesn't impact us. It's actually intimately connected to us like a microscopic organism. And some of it's good and some of it's bad. In our last song, Holy, 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 we sung about, um, about two of the spiritual beings in the spiritual space, seraphim and cherubim. They fall down before you, we sung. Uh, there are angels, there are archangels. Gabriel, for example. There's also dark forces that aren't good for our spiritual health. There are demons. There are unclean spirits. And then there is Satan, the devil, the ruler of all evil. And in this part of the prayer, we, we remind ourselves that we walk through the physical world as well as the as spiritual world. And our, our health, our spiritual health, depends on our decisions in both these realms. We can make physical decisions which are very bad for our spiritual health. We can also make spiritual decisions that are bad for our spiritual health. And we ask that God would help us with both. That he would guide us through both. For example, in the spiritual, what do we say? We ask that God would protect us. Deliver us from the evil one. How can we not think of Ephesians 6, verse 12? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. So we pray, God, you, we need you to protect us from evil, from Satan and demons. We need you. We need your armor. Help dress us. Help prepare us. Help protect us. We also need him to help us make wise decisions, don't we? When we're tested or tempted. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What a promise. It's not a promise that you won't be tested or won't be tempted. It's a promise that you'll never have to crumble under the pressure. There's always a way out. There's always, you'll always be sustained strong enough. I mean, that's the kind of memory verse you could write out on a post-it note and put it wherever you're tempted. If it's something on, on the computer, stick it on the computer. If it's, it's, something, if it's, if it's drinking, put it on the carton of beer. I don't know what it is. If it's your phone, you could stick that memory verse and stand on that promise that when temptation comes, there is always a way out. Because God is good 
And he calls us to pray that prayer. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And that, that's the Lord's Prayer. That's how we're taught to pray. And we shouldn't take it for granted, should we? We should pray regularly, pray daily. Because you'll never hear that engage signal, that outer reception signal. There'll never be an outage, which means we shouldn't pray less. We should pray more. Let me end with a quote. Um, one final quote from Chester. If you live in your kingdom, you will live in a small world and pray small prayers. Your concern will be your will and your needs. Your prayers will rarely extend beyond your garden fence. Small prayers for a small person. But when you live in God's kingdom, then you'll live in a big world and pray big prayers. Even the details of your life become profoundly significant because your concern is now the glory of God in everything you do. And your prayers will span across the world because your passion is to see God's name proclaimed across all nations. We need to pray bigger prayers, prayers that move beyond our world and into God's world. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.